Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. So tell me about your family and and your business partners and, and your experience. Well, I got three kids and I'm married. My wife's from Mexico. She didn't speak English when we met. She's very uh, much the listener and I'm very much the talker. Hence, I have a podcast and I run my mouth. I, uh, <laughs> I'm forever talking. I, re- I realize this too, and, and maybe you're this a similar way, but I'm lit up and I'm, I'm excited when I'm around other people. I need, I'm energized. People energize me. It's not being alone. It's not working on the harder things. That's my operations manager. That's the other side of the team. That's the one that lives in carbon. That part of our team loves that work, get it done, integrator, you know, let's, let's keep moving things toward the finish line. And I'm out with the next idea. My wife is the same way. She's the integrator of our household and my kids, you know, I guess, so as they grow, you, you can tell either who they're similar to, but then you start learning more about yourself as they're growing too. Like I can see myself and my son every time he does something. And I just, uh, you know, people would say, I pray for your kids, you know, or, or that you're going to get it, what's coming to you is because I was a little shit growing up. I was, uh, I was the hellraiser or the, you know, I, I don't know the best way to put it, but man, he knows how to manipulate and he knows how to push the right buttons in me, but also just the way he is. And I could be a lot more empathetic because I could relate to what he's going through sometimes or different things. And not so much with my daughters, but my wife can with them too. And the one thing to notice being at home now too, because we, we don't have an office anymore, is my youngest, I'm starting to notice things, little nuances about their personalities that I didn't notice. My oldest is in high school and my youngest is in fourth grade or four years old. So she's going to be four next month. She's a little accountant, I think. She's, she puts things in order. She organizes. She's very deliberate about the colors and the shapes and what, how things are set up. My son would just throw shit around. He would, you know, he's, he's very like, and so I could relate to my daughters more so in that respect though, on that side of their brain, they are very organized and it's, you know, some might say OCD or some might say an accountant, right? Like that's, um, it's kind of, we're, we're born to organize things. <laughs> one in the, one in the same sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Numbers that make sense, like are things that make sense to them. And it's like, they, they want to organize that their environments. But I didn't notice that when my older daughter was super young because I was always working tax returns, you know, just working forever hours. So being able to find that balance, you can enrich yourself more too. Cause I can, you know, I guess I, I can be a better parent or a better person through them and through their eyes. So I, it's got real deep quick, but that's, that's tends to be where I go. And you asked me to talk about the family. Yeah. So in what order, are your kids, they started high school and all the way down to four. Yeah. So, and my son's in second grade. So they are all in different schools and they have different days off too, which is really hard, right? Like President's Day, my son still had school, but my daughter was out, which I, I guess that, that's how it is. And now that one's in year round school. So they get every three months, they get a few weeks off, which was great when they were on the same schedule. But now that they're not, it's hard for us to travel because one's in school, one's not. We're starting to figure that stuff out. We're not like the Chad Davis and traveling around in an RV, homeschooling our kids, right? I'm sure you know you're familiar with uh, with that whole world too. We had Chad on the uh, 
podcast not that long ago. I don't think we've released, we haven't released it yet, but. Um, I just had him on and Blake also just had him on as well. <laughs> oh, there you go. The Adventures in No Code. That's his ride, right? And I, I, I love his story though. Is uh, so so we can we can relate to that. So it's um I don't know. Like I I am really impressed with what you guys have done as a company. I've never told you this personally, but I tell this to Ian all the time. Like the the vision, the leadership, and the direction that you guys go and take the product. It's said a lot at our firm. Like our favorite tool that we use is Carbon. It's because it's made for us. You know, you guys are hyper-focused on our industry and also with delivering a quality product that not only works, but is innovative in a lot of ways too. So, I mean, I'm not here to blow smoke up your ass, but, uh, you know, I'm... Uh, oh, no, no. There's, <laughs> over the years, there's been a bit of smoke blown up my ass, but not, not, that, not that often. <laughs> so I appreciate it. We'll take it. <laughs> I really appreciate that, Scott. I mean... I've said this a few times on the podcast, but I don't know if you ever noticed, but it, a couple of years ago we tried to um, branch out the product into other industries and, uh, you know, that failed spectacularly. And and ever since then, you know, the, fo- the focus on the industry has absolutely helped us help you. And I think what you're saying is, is that really comes across now, the we spend a lot of time with people like yourself and our customer base and just make sure that, you know, that we're thinking about what you're thinking about next. <laughs> but you're helping us think about it too and, and asking the right questions or bringing up the articles. You know, I, I, I could say this, that even before I was using Carbon, those were the emails I kept in my inbox. Those were the articles that I would read because they were about real life. You have have written a lot. I mean, you guys still do most of the content yourself and you've written a lot about minimalism type conversations. And, and one of them that you read stuck with me, you, you went black and white mode at one point on your phone, or, or that was a suggestion. But there's just like, I turned off all my notifications at some point last year, and it changed my life. And it was reinforced too by one of your articles, because that was like, okay, I'm on the right track here. This is, this is already what I'm doing. And there's other people talking about this too. So it's like a validation, a reinforcement of something that I already felt and that I was already starting to do. And it was like two of your five or three of the five tips were things that I had just done. And then it was like, one of them was uh, go black and white mode. And I said, you know what? That's probably a damn good idea. That brings us back to like the days where a phone was just a tool and it wasn't our life. I ran across a guy the other day that has still got a Motorola Flip. It made me nostalgic. <laughs> and you remember those days, but then again, it's like we still have to appreciate what our phones can do when we need it or when we want to. Like if we're stuck in an airport and we want to get something done, our phone can pretty much do everything. And if we want to watch a TV show or communicate with somebody or get on a video call, like we got to love what we can do for it, but we can't let it dictate our next movement, right? And that's what the notifications used to do, at least for me. It would would train me to think in a certain way or do something when that's not what I was going to do in the first place. I pick up the phone to, uh, I don't know, eh, you know, I digress, but. No, no, no. Like all tech, there's, um, there's upsides and downsides, right? And it's one of the issues, though, in the world is like we, we kind of outsource our ethics and morals and lifestyle choices to, Companies that are arguably, ha- well, not even arguably, that are pretty easy to mount the argument that they have different stakeholders 
to satisfy <laughs> than, than what we do. So brainstem hacking and, but we've got to recognize and be aware of that because there's still power in those tools as well, right? Like uh, just the marketing power of Twitter is beyond brilliant. You know, the way that Twitter is set up, I go in there and everything is positive. It's like everything is alike. There's no dislike there. That's It's just like reinforcing a lot of positive feelings, but then it also drains you, you know? So there's a, it's got to be a balance, a healthy balance of that whole both sides of the coin, right? But a lot, a lot of those tools, the Twitters, the Facebooks, I mean, they, they arrived not deliberately, but through, you know, just trial and error and, and human traction drove, you know, a lot of their roadmap, right? So for better or worse, for better or worse, that's the thing, you know, eyeballs was their, was their number one goal. And, and if, if something was working, then they made it work better and they continued to push money in that part of the product. Okay, this is where people's eyes are. Let's keep doing this. And that was, this, some things were accident, like the like button, wasn't that like an accident? And then they drove it really hard, but then it's pushing something off of the cliff, right? Or go, going a little too far with it. And I think, you know, it's, it's part of it's our responsibility to find the balance. A lot of people point the finger. But, you know, I think it's both parties are responsible for any negative side of it, um, too, because we're, we asked for it, right? Like we wanted everything in our pocket, in our phones. We wanted immediate access to everything. Let me ask, though, where you are from Australia or New Zealand? Melbourne originally. Okay, because your accent sounds sharper than an Australia that I might consider. I, I feel like it's, to me, it's, I always distinguish New Zealand and Australia with the sharpness of of the tone and the words, and it, they're a lot tighter. So, is Melbourne closer to New Zealand, or is it? It, it? it is closer to New Zealand, but no, no. Well, we should drag out the map. So, so Melbourne, Melbourne's about a three hour flight to Auckland, but at the moment, but I've been in the states for ten years now. Uh, people do point out my. I don't notice it. My family doesn't notice, but um, people point out my accent as I. I think I've rounded out a little bit to be uh, more understood in America. And so that's, that's probably the, the adjustment that you might notice. <laughs> I had a very interesting conversation with somebody over the weekend. I, I took my, fr- my son to a birthday party and the guy's from Russia and thick accent. He's been here for maybe 15, 18 years. And there's certain things about how your vocal cords, muscles develop at a younger age based on the language you speak and the region and environment that you will never lose that because that's the way your muscles have grown into your body and developed. So you will never lose that accent. As much as you try, you have to intentionally, like actors have to intentionally, and you have to, if you're not thinking about it and then you go back to your natural speak, it's just your muscles fall right back into place. It's like muscle memory. Too. So he brought to the picture of anybody that tries to mimic your accent, if they don't speak that or never don't have it, they can't ever get it right. So it's like he's Borat as the example, <laughs> like from Kazakhstan. <laughs> yeah. And because he spoke English and he did, he wasn't na- natural to that language. He can't do it. He can do it just like any other American or English speaking person can but they can't he can't do the same accent so anybody that's from there can tell like the difference so that was a interesting fact though about 
how our environments develop because it's the same syllable combinations that you have in different words. So because you're, it's almost like a, somebody like a bodybuilder who was, or anybody that's kind of just building their muscles in a certain way, you just have that muscle memory and that's just how your vocal cords align, right? That's interesting. I mean, I, I notice even listening, you know, if I fall back into bad habit and, and look at the uh, the Australian newspapers and, you know, watch a bit of Australian TV, it, it, it is actually grating the accent now. Like I, no, I probably notice it similarly to, you know, what, what people from other countries do. It's quite, I don't know, I've become too American perhaps. But, um, and I notice, so when we moved here, my eldest was two and the and at that stage the youngest was only six months. So even even at two, when Georgia goes back to Australia, and which we have in a couple of years, obviously, she falls back into an Australian accent and me and my wife will do the same, you know, very quickly. But uh, Archie, who is who is a US citizen, and Martha, who didn't have that, you know, that that muscle memory at, at six months, seven months, she'll stick to her American accent. So it is it is quite interesting. <laughs> Well, it's it's an empathy part of how we are as well, because and this was part of that conversation I had over the weekend. It was like, whenever I'm around somebody, even if I don't speak the language, I start to, or wherever it is, you start to develop mannerisms and saying things a certain way in a certain twang, like, because I'm, I'm in the South, North Carolina, like there's just certain things that I say that I'm, and when I'm with my wife or her family, even though... I still don't speak a lot of Spanish. I was going to say, I was going to ask you how your Spanish was. <laughs> it's terrible. I, I think in colors and numbers, I don't think in words. So I can't, it's, it's hard for me to, but not for lack of effort, or at least I, I speak with an accent, even though I'm not speaking Spanish. Sometimes when I'm speaking English, my mom would notice that when I'm speaking to my wife and I don't do it intentionally. I just do it as like, uh, it, it's just what we do. So that might be, that play into like kind of how, like I, I noticed, I, I just had an interview with a guy from Practice Ignition and I noticed there's certain things I'll say when I was editing, like I, I kind of, I heard myself say certain words that I wouldn't normally say, but because he was saying them toward the middle to end of the episode, I'm saying different things and not, not intentionally, but that's just how it was coming out. You know, like there's certain things I'll pick up on or I just, I dig it. Like the way that certain people talk, you know, you pick up the things that you, you, you like or just to relate better, right? You, I feel like that's um, finding some kind of common ground. But um, speaking of practice ignition, they are ignition now. They just had a recent round and y'all just had a recent round of funding, some big news that came out recently. I mean, I, I, I've caught up with Guy briefly and, and said, said uh, congrats on, on his uh, success, and uh, which is fantastic for the, for the industry. I, I get why they would sort of uh, try and broaden out and go a bit more horizontal. You know, if, if you're going to stick to sort of that, you know, quite niche area of proposals and lead management and, and, and proposal management, et cetera, you know, that, that's, that's a reasonably thin slice of workflow. And so it makes complete sense for them to, you know, expand out uh, horizontally and, and take on the, um, some of the others in that... Um, you know, offer, offer that, that kind of software. Well, it's different ways to define the vertical, right? Like your vertical, you go really deep in with the industry and trying to solve the industry problems. They're trying to solve a specific problem that could be related to 
different industries, but like you said, a little bit more horizontal than vertical, but it's still a, I guess it's not necessarily, you can't call it a vertical. I always, I, I try to steer away from niche because Ackerman always says niche on my podcast. Ackerman, my co-host is just like, he says niche and, and it's niche. And so I just try to say vertical. Yeah. So. It's definitely niche in Australia. We, we get asked this a fair bit and one of the reasons that we've eliminated sort of, you know, moving beyond accounting, at least at least in the um, in the medium term, is accountants work. I mean, the practice management bits are pretty similar, right? Like everybody needs time billing and fixed fee, and you're raising the invoice and you get paid. That's all fine. It's pretty straightforward. But accounting workflow is actually really unique. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but. So if you look at a, a le- uh, compared to legal practice management or like engineering or architecture or even wealth management, right? Accountants, say you've got 10 staff, I don't know, what, 1,000 clients, 500 clients per 10 staff, say something like that? Well, we only have 110 and I got eight staff, so. Well, there you go. So it depends how, how far you move up in the value chain, right? So, but even in, your, even in your case, right, so 10, 10, uh, 100 plus clients, Say four or five jobs per star, per client, right? So you've got five hundred. Call it five hundred jobs a month, and you know if you scale that to a, to a thousand clients, you know it's five thousand jobs per month that get opened and closed. Hopefully, touch wood every month, right? Or each quarter, you know, there and thereabouts. So that's a pretty high volume of workflow that Carbon has been built to manage, right? Like. You look at an engineer or, uh, you know, some of those others that I mentioned, like some small legal firms with 10 staff, they might have 10 jobs total, you know, <laughs> like one, one matter per person or say say even five matters per person. So the, the aspects of workflow, like the scheduling, the budgeting, the staff allocation, the resource management, the task management, it's actually really unique to accountants. We haven't come across any other segment on a dare, dare I say niche that, that has that kind of volume. And so that's, I don't think it was good management. It was a bit of, good, bit of luck. Well, it's not luck. It's, we, we, because we focus so much on the customer initially, right? Like we, we spent thousands of hours, you know, working with people like yourself, like really understanding that aspect of the workflow. And that's, that's why hopefully you see in the product <laughs> touch wood, that even with a, as, as volume increases, you, the, the team is able to manage it, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty well and, and um, scalable. Yeah. Yeah. And we're scaling up to sort of, you know, with this six, seven, eight hundred thousand employees and some of our customers now, and they're still able to manage it. Right. And like, you know, that, that can, that can quickly get pretty unwieldy. I wouldn't know what we would do with, uh, and I don't say this like, again, t- for the smoke thing, but I don't know what we would do without carbon because it's the backbone. And I've used this, I've got the anatomy of a firm in my head. And I, I do this on a presentation that I do, but I use carbon as, as part of the backbone of the skeleton because of your branding as well. It's just, it's perfect fit for the anatomy of a firm. That's kind of how it started. Carbon's the skeleton, the backbone, practice ignition is the heart, pumping the cash and the blood in. The blood veins, is the blue ones are zero. The red ones are gusto slash ADP. 
And um, forecasting is the eyes looking forward. I haven't really figured out if that's live plan or I'm pretty sure that's that's the live plan, the looking forward. I've got um, different things in the works for different body parts, but uh, I got to introduce some color in there. I don't know where Lysio fits in, but I think like Lysio is a splash of color and I, I need some liveliness there. So um, you guys are the backbone of the firm. And I think of it like the back office, the backbone, and I think the branding, it all kind of just fits to each other. And I, obviously, I don't know if that's what you had in mind, but that's what I think of when I see the logo. I think that you need a strong back office, especially to handle the workflows. Um, and it's a, it's a difference between like you guys are focused on us as a firm and our employees and our workflow and our back office this conversation has come up a lot, but it's like Lysio's is focused on the client, but you guys have introduced some things too, that are, that are client facing that the biggest lift for us last year was using client tasks uh, during tax season that changed everything. The, the way that that worked and the way that that flowed, it was every, it was just something little that we started doing, but it made such a huge difference in how tax season went even for a firm like ours, like we don't have a crazy tax season. It's not, you know, we, we don't do an insane amount of tax, but uh, it's still a different workflow and a different adjustment to the regular year, you know, the, just the monthly work that we're doing. Yeah, just try, trying to move, again, trying to move. Accounting is more of a volume game than than a lot of other professional services. And I, I think that's where we, um, you know, we, we really try and focus hard and help with that volume and, and help you manage it. And, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, the money we raised, and that's that's to be used for we're tripling the, the size of the company this year and, and a lot of those are in in engineering and development and product and design and, and uh, you'll see us accelerate the, the, the platform pretty rapidly. Will we finally see the organizer? Will we finally see that this year <laughs> yeah. or the calendar? integration. I mean, it's, I get really pumped up when you do your vision board and when you talk about the vision of the company and then I stall out and I forget half of the shit because I never see, I never see it. That's okay. It's all right. The uh, calendar was supposed to go up on our, um, on our stage environment recently. I don't know whether it made it up yet, but um, uh, it's imminent. Let's put it that way. (laughs) I was really into time blocking. And after I read a world without email and I started getting the team into very, being very attentional about their time, I was really pumped that they could plan out all of the work that they're going to do in that week and just load it up on their calendar. And so I'm still really excited about that. And being able to plan their week can be so much more effective for anybody that's doing any deep work. And I think that it's going to lend itself to being a better tool to reinforce those habits. And it's hard for, for most people to plan these days because we're so reactionary to whatever comes up, you know, this email or that. And I I want to be able to turn alerts off and just have them go deep into whatever job they're doing and then pick up the next one. And, and if they have some kind of alignment with their workflow and their time and their calendar to manage it, a lot of people like to, to downgrade the fact of tracking time and billing on time and all that. But I think you need to manage your time because it's not a renewable resource. So you need to be effective in managing it so you can do the things that you want to do outside of work and not have to just, uh, you know, always be catching up. So. So you're saying time is like coal. (laughs) Yeah. It's not renewable. You know, it's time is diamonds, not coal. Right. Diamond in the coal mine is the time. The coal is just the money, you know? 
Well, in ter- you know, in terms of time management, yeah, I mean, we, we 80% of our customers fixed fee but still measure some amount of time essentially for internal purposes only, not, not, not for billing or anything like that. I mean, last year we started around June or July, we started using your tool and I, I, I mean, it's super easy and, and the team didn't complain about it. They actually like it because now they have a record of how long something should take them and they, they're paying more attention to the time that they're spending. And we can, I mean, it's, it's going to help us with profitability. There's going to be certain metrics I know that Ian has promised and that things we'll be able to see in the reporting for, you know, to be able to price better too. And it's just internal metrics. It's not to build a client and it's not to reprimand anybody for spending too much time on something or too little, or this is our time budget. We don't know what our time budget is. We want to be able to price effectively too. So it's like kind of reinforcing a price or if we need to adjust something with a client that's an anchor that's something we can hang our hat on to say all right well this is what why is this one so much more time or spend like why are we spending more time on this client when they're the same industry as all these others and usually it's a common sense answer or not and sometimes we got to dig a little bit deeper where's the nuance there so it's just a good metric to use as a um you know as, as a positioning tool or for profitability sake so I'm always tired of the time conversation. Like this has been something that me and Ackerman talked about for a whole year. He's they're dead set on it's only prisoners that track their time. That's uh, that's that's what they say. Is he still uh, still anti time? Is he? Oh, they're so anti time. But there might be the only ones on our podcast. We have interviewed a lot of different people, and there's nobody that there's only maybe him and one other uh, firm that doesn't even pay attention to time. And it used to be me, <laughs> but now we, we, now we've gone to the dark side as, as he would say, I don't think so. I think that's a, like I said, it's like the renewable resource and um, it's not renewable resource. You know, once the time's gone, it's gone. You can't get that back. People and time is what we focus on. All right. We don't really focus on the, them in particular, but uh, it's trying to shift the conversation to people now. Cause that's uh seems to be the hot topic. I got somebody leaving our firm taking another job. She gave us plenty of notice, but now I'm starting to see how bad the market is. Like we haven't, this hasn't knock on wood. I mean, this, I would say knock on wood until this happened yesterday, but it's the first time now we got to think about hiring since like beginning of COVID. We took on two new people early on, fully remote and it worked out great. But now one of them, you know, is, is wants to go back to an, an office environment or a work environment that is not remote and we don't have an office anymore. So it's that's kind of interesting, you know, to see the other side of it that an employee prefers that too. You spoke about it earlier. The being around people uh, gives you energy, and that, that you feed off. That you, I don't know about you, I certainly miss. We're starting to travel again. I've missed the travel and seeing the teams, and you know, spending time with customers and employees in person. I think. That's the bit about my job that I enjoy the most. And during COVID, you sort of, you know, you're not receiving that energy and it can be, yeah, it's, it's different. It's, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's depressing or anything. I would say that it's sort of oriented to, to the way that I'm not. And um, I'm looking forward to, to getting back uh, out to see people. And <laughs> I'm looking forward to the Carbon event. I don't know if it's Carbon X or if it's something else, but Carbon X, yep, Carbon X. I was looking forward to that back in 2020, but now I've been been pushed, and now we've got it on the calendar, right? It's um, 
It's coming up. It's on the calendar. June June three, June four. Right before engage. Exactly. That's that's not a coincidence. So um, uh, you should be able to get on the Sunday. You, you uh, make your way down uh, the hill from Lake Tahoe down to Reno and and hop on one of the many flights that go down to Vegas, uh, ready for. I got my whole month planned out. I'm going to there to engage and then to Mexico for the rest of the month. And that's that's where we go visit my wife's family and we we got our house there. We're going to stay there and be off the grid. So that's going to be the last hurrahs is you guys and then engage. Hopefully they're very, very different events. That is a deliberate strategy. Uh, CarbonX is limited to 100 people. We cannot fit more than 100 in in the venue uh, locally. And so... That's that's a pretty deliberate strategy. We really want to keep it, you know, ve- very intimate and have have fireside. Yep, very much fire. So we're going to do a live podcast. So many audience members that have done been on our podcast, and so uh, perhaps perhaps we can um, you know get a bit of a panel going on stage and do, and do a live podcast. <laughs> oh, I can bring my mics. I always travel with my mics now. Yeah, this podcasting world has changed things for me. I, I used to say zero made the accounting world a lot bigger and smaller at the same time. And now I say that same thing about the podcast, right? Like it's, and I don't know if you can relate, but it's like, as you start to get your head out of your own ass and you see what everything else is going on, then the world's so much bigger, but then everybody's connected and everybody knows each other. And like it, and then it feels a lot smaller too, even though it's geographically spread out, it feels a lot smaller. It feels like the room is um, bigger and smaller at the same time almost. So I always excited to see people in person, you know, all the interaction on here is great. Like, because we're all connected, we can all, you know, communicate like this, but then it's not the same as being in person. There's a bit of a a difference there, but we try to be more intentional with the team. You know, we have our Tuesdays and Thursdays, we call them together days. And it used to be an hour that we would spend just bullshit and just kind of talking about different things. I got these little table topics that we ask and we just start the conversations and, we don't really make it about anything, but it's just there. Now we do it for a half hour because an hour was just starting to get to be a little too much, you know, but it's, if we need an hour, it's fine. If we want to turn on, you know, we started watching that PBC show that Flowcast produced. We used to watch The Prophet um, with Mark Lamonis. And uh, before that, we were watching, we watched Game of Thrones when we were back in the office. That was, a, that was fun. But now we're trying to make it at least like somewhat aligned with what we're doing or not to say educational, but entertaining edutainment, right? Tell us a bit about pageant then. Well, we, we should we should do that. The um, Because, you know, it's, it's a fantastic success story. So tell me how that sort of came about originally. And and you've got an interesting structure and and a very deliberate way that you organise the operations and, 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 a, and, a, and a wonderful community as well. So there you go. There's, there's four questions in one. So the franchise itself was, and if we start back, you know, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, bringing on new franchisees, things were going well, but they were on a proprietary system. It was its own accounting system. It's, it weren't using any other platform. It was just a write-up platform and they, they had good reporting tools, but good foundational way of approaching small businesses and working with small businesses, focusing on the client, billing on fixed fees and, you know, not, not hourly rates and kind of doing things standardized across all clients. 
you know, to focus on just good systems in place, right? The game changed a lot in the last 15 years. You know that, everybody knows that. And 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 they were kind of left in a in a bit of a darkness to where which way to go forward. And I'm a, I'm a younger person. I I I have my ear to the streets and I I I don't know what I attribute a lot of the change to, but I think I, my parents mostly that my dad, like, you know, this is my podcast, the sons of CPAs, right? And my dad was a CPA. My mom's, you know, a bit of a homegrown programmer. And my dad used to work for my grandfather's CPA firm. And then they have their own software business now. It turned into now they have a GL accounting platform for nonprofits. So I grew in a house that was just very much against Intuit altogether. Well, they were against Intuit because of the way Intuit ran as a company. And I don't know, because he still used QuickBooks at home. So I knew QuickBooks and I knew of that, but I think it was like they saw it as a competitor almost, or just, you know, Blackbaud, Razor's Edge and uh, different things because they have a nonprofit GL software. So maybe they saw it as a competitor, maybe. So we were using QuickBooks and at, at our firm, at least in our office, I don't know if I'm weaving too many stories together, but that's sort of like a my head is more toward the, the be different or be on leading edge or be new and find better ways to do something that you get the same outcome, but a lot more effective. And the, the real lightning in the bottle was, was zero for us and Zen payroll at different times. But when I found zero, that's, that's what really changed our firm in particular, because it was it was cloud-based, built from the cloud. You were, you were at zero. I mean, this was, you know, th- this was back in like 2014. I mean, I don't think we, we crossed paths then, but that was that was when we found zero, and that's what changed everything for our our office. And then and then Paget would notice that we were doing things vastly, and we grew like at a at a very rapid rate. You know, our our firm or our office was maybe ninety thousand a year in billings when I when I started working there with this with with the other guy. And, you know, we grew to very, very fast. Like in, in a very short period, we went from there to maybe five hundred thousand, maybe just in a year or two. And that's because I could do like we we were able to do a lot more with a lot less. And so we were able to take on a lot more and we had a lot of capacity because zero, you know, made these exponentially time, you know, amount of time saving lifts just through simple things that we, we take for granted now, but bank feeds and cash coding was just a, an entire game changer for somebody that is doing a lot of write-up work. So we were able to do what we used to take us, you know, days and days to complete. We could do that in a couple hours. So it changed us, it changed the backbone of our firm. And then Paget has kind of taken that model and shifted the way they approach technology you can see, I mean, it's at least visible to anybody else, like the the outwardly changes that we've had recently. You know, they took, uh, they t- replaced the CEO, they brought Jeff in and Jeff is a little bit more connected in this world. They brought in Amanda um, and Amanda's obviously a lot more connected in this, in the cloud world as well. Zero has been a big partner. Carbon was at our last conference and there's been a lot of, a lot of tech and tools that we used at, at our office has now become part of the you know, franchise-wide system that's still being redesigned and redeveloped and and built back up. Not necessarily from scratch, because like I said, it had a bit of a foundation, but it's changing, you know, changing the way that a lot of these offices that are part of the Paget network, they're ready to retire. They've been doing, they've been at this 
it's a 55 plus year old franchise. So they are all ready to, to put in the hat, you know, put in the, throw in the towel. So they're, you know, they're stuck in an interesting situation because they're doing a lot of things the old way, but it's, it's a model of the entire industry, right? The industry needs to change. And and that's why we do our, now I'm weaving a lot of different conversations together, but it's like, that's, that's why we have our podcast. That's why me and Ackerman started it because we're, we're somewhat in a bubble of people that are doing things differently. We're, we're the next generation of accountants that are trying to adopt and find, and I don't know all the right answers. And that's why I'm asking a lot of questions. And I don't know what's the best way to do something. I know what works for us now, but that could change, you know? So it's that growth mindset of accountants that want to change and that aren't stuck and marred in the inertia of this is how we've always done it. And this is what works because there could be something that's better that you just don't know. So it's like the metaphor for the next generation, because I saw that in the pageant world and in the accounting world, there's no difference, right? The large majority of people are, are doing things a certain way and maybe they don't have any incentive to change or don't know the way forward. So how, how did you come across the pageant to give you know both our listeners a, uh, an idea of, what, uh, of how all this sort of came about? So I was at Carolina for accounting and I lost my way at, uh, this is UNC Chapel Hill. I lost my way somewhere started selling drugs. I started doing things and I started writing scripts for movies. I started doing, but like I, I, I switched majors, changed, changed everything. Obviously when I talk about the selling drugs part, I got kicked out of school. I totally went to the creative side, lost my way, got kicked out of school and then had to shift back to accounting. Well, with that felony on me, it's hard for me to get a job at any regular old, you know, when I went back to the accounting, the safe structure, it was hard for me to work at a larger, like I, you know, I got job offers, but then the second you have to fill out that background check, you know, it's, it's, and then even getting my CPA, I didn't get my CPA. I just, you know, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but it's just, you know, I put a, um, it was easier for me to work at a smaller local place. And I also saw a lot of opportunity. So I started at this, you know, kind of, I didn't even know it was an accounting firm. Honestly, it was a guy calls me in to do an interview. I thought he was a job recruiter. And I thought I saw it was a pretty big opportunity. Like this part of a franchise network. It's, there's a lot more, you know, they're working with small businesses. It's not very corporate. It wasn't very much like a, a huge ladder that I would have to climb at a regular firm. And would they, it's not about them judging me, but it's like, you don't want to go into something with the wrong impression. So they knew everything about my background from the beginning. And I did work at a couple CPA firms that knew the background too. Um, it's not like they care or don't care, but you know, you can't get past that with some people. So that's kind of how that started. At least that's why I chose that over the next regional firm. You know, I was offered a job from one to another and I just saw this pageant. He wasn't going to pay me a lot, but I saw it as a big opportunity for a revenue share to grow his practice, to grow his firm. And I saw that as a new opportunity, right? Like doors closed, doors open. It kind of worked out to my benefit because I was able to shape and mold how we changed the practice. And, and he was hands off. Like it was, we worked well together, you know, for like the 10 years I worked for him before I bought the practice from him and he did a profit share with me. And so, you know, that's back in like 2015 was when he retired. And that's when I, um, I bought the practice from him. 
And so I funded the purchase of the practice through the profit share. Well, not through the profit share, but that was like how I justified it, right? Like I, I grew it, but then I bought it from him. And now that's that's how I'm in that world. And that's, uh, so I have a franchise, a pageant franchise. And That would have been a, a, a pretty difficult journey of recovery, I imagine. Well, not really. I learned a lot selling. I mean, I was, I was doing three options back then with cocaine. <laughs> I was selling different options to people. I, my margins were great. <laughs> Just to me, these were natural business instincts and these were decisions I was making. So I was learning a lot about running a business, maybe not necessarily the best ways ethically, morally, however you want to put it, but I never did to anything to anybody that they weren't going to be doing anywhere else or they weren't going to be who they were. You know, it was, these were just things that I justified in my head. Now, then again, it's like, a, I don't have any regrets over anything I did because I obviously learned a lot from all of that, but you know, not to, not to say that I didn't take anything away from those experiences because you learn how to deal with a lot of different people, a lot of ty- all types across all paths. And, you know, I guess that's how, like, um, I am who I am today because of, uh, because of all those, uh, mistakes along the way. Right. So there's the significant business acumen was gained with some experiences early on life, a pricing, what else? A customers, a sales, marketing, of course, business development, margins, profitability. I mean, I could talk about that all day and it was, uh, leveraging yeah and investing um and uh getting some some inventory employees stocking and um and the supply and demand and basically you know just different um and it was it was a collaborative effort too like if it wasn't competitive ever it was always like okay you know distribution marketing it's a different um part of it and that's you i'm reading a book called narconomics uh now and it talks about the genius of a lot of the <laughs> cartels I, i'm in the cartel portion of it but they, they it's probably going to go into all different directions it's very interesting you know the similarities from walmart to a drug cartel you know or the the way that they operate and the way they run business is business demand is demand people are people and you have to s- listen to what the people are saying you know and, and get the i don't know it's we, we can draw a lot of uh, macro and micro examples but um well, the, the one thing, I mean, I don't mean to draw parallels between cartels and accounting. I do notice, though, that accounting is very, uh, accountants uh, share with their peers a lot more than a lot of other industries. They don't generally, you know, see see other accounting firms as, as overly competitive. Maybe it's different in the, you know, say the top 200 or something, but the smaller ones. Well, it's a mindset too. And I think that what you're seeing is you guys have created a culture of accountants that share. It wasn't always like that. And I don't think it always it is still like that in the broader sphere, but in the a carbon community, you guys are creating a, an environment and a culture of sharing and scaffolding is what Ian would use. And everybody's benefited from that. And it's not, this information is not mine. It's not proprietary. It's not, and that's, you know, I, I speak on a franchise at one hand and that's, that's all BS when it comes to, oh, this is the way we do things and nobody else should know this. I think everybody should know everything. So then you could take it your own way and do it the best. Right. So yeah, that's a, it's sharing and it's, um, it's a. Well, that's good to know that we're sort of uh, propagating that kind of behavior. That's, that's good to know. 
<laughs> and so you, you took over the, the firm, you bought the firm that was in 2015. And so I bought the firm. We're at, we're at about 1.5 million now. And we were at, sheesh, we were at 1.2 million in 2016. And we stayed there on, up until last year. So that's the wall. That's the ceiling I hit as an owner. I didn't know what I was, what I could have done more or less, or I got stuck in the work. I'm out of the work now. I don't do any client work. I don't do any taxes or anything like that. I basically just do sales here and there when I feel like it, when I, when I want to, I've just spent most of my year doing a podcast and um, hanging out, but, but yeah, I mean, it, now I'm just trying to figure out where my purpose is or what, where I'm needed. Like, do we need to hire somebody for sales? Do I really want to continue doing that? I, kind of just uh, trying to figure out where my direction is or what my next step is um, there. So it's uh, it's not that I'm disinterested in it, but now we finally got past that 1.2 mark. I'm not aggressively trying to grow. Um, I'm not trying to do anything to really scale up because I'm trying to let my team dictate that. And I don't have it in me to, to really want to drive the business in a direction that they don't want to go. So... They like things comfortable. They like natural progressions. And, you know, just we have a natural amount of clients that we add on every month just by not doing much. You know, we get a lot of inbound leads and I try to close enough business, but sometimes I dip out and I'll, I'll be traveling or I just don't really feel like going to my email. And so we just don't have a lot of business that month. But then sometimes I got to, you know, put my nose back in there and start closing some deals and we'll get we'll close a lot of new clients and then dip back out again so yeah well that sounds like a pretty pleasant way to operate <laughs> i don't know I, I don't make it that pleasant sometimes i uh just get in my head sometimes my ambition kills me too right like i i also see where all my peers are or, or where I, my firm could be or where you know the top line could be but then i want to focus on the bottom line and it's like uh, i get pulled in a lot of directions in my head and i don't know what the next step is sometimes yeah being self-aware for that stuff is is probably the 80% of the battle, right? Like a lot of us, particularly in the software world, you know, get can get caught up in growth for growth's sake. And I don't feel like accountants, you know, suffer from that as much as, as us software people, but you should be very deliberate and, and very, uh, you know, focus on what is right for you and your firm. And it's like the why, right? Why are you doing this? Why are you in this? Is it for the ego? Then it's top line growth, right? Is it for pride and, and to look back on some legacy that you've left? It's not always going to be just chasing the dollars, right? It's got to be something deeper than that and solving, a you know, having a mission to to accomplish something and to do something. And and the journey should be fun to get there too, I would think. I mean, that, that was one thing that I probably learned too late in life, and and you know, again in software, you can take the check, or you can you can you know you, you sort of view the the exit as the goal, right? As I say, I probably should have learned it a bit earlier, but actually, the goal is the journey. The check, whether it comes or whether it doesn't, is a, a byproduct of well, doesn't it always come eventually? Like the, the, it always comes eventually in, in one way or another. Like if you, if you turn around and look and you got like a family, you know, three kids that are healthy, that's a check right there. Right. That's the best one. That's, that's the best one. <laughs> it, the, and the other check is icing, you know, the, the big one, the one that's uh, taped up that check behind me is our first sponsor. That's what I cared about more last year. 
our first sponsor for the podcast. As I cared more about that than about uh, like selling a, a large deal at the firm. It was just uh, one of those things that it was like, I, I guess I, you know, it's more about the journey, right? It's more, you guys sponsored our, our podcast too. And I thought that was baller. What, what uh, Lachlan said, you don't need to talk about the product. Just talk about accounting leaders podcast, the community, the magazine, and then maybe mention the product here or there. But I thought that was so like, it's like, that's a flex, right? That's like, you guys know that the content is right and it's good. Send them in that direction. You don't have to get them to sign up for a quick trial or an intro or anything like that. And it's not about the short term. It's about the long term of getting the message out there. And then, you know, then they will come, right? And it's a long game too. So I can't believe how quickly this hour has gone. I told you I got a motor mouth though. I, um, I don't have a shortage of words. You know, no, this is great. It's been so wonderful. We're, we're going to do this again, Scott. Yeah, well, we can have you come on our podcast. You haven't been a guest on ours. That would be that would be awesome. I'd love to, but I, I, I've got to deliver tags. Otherwise, Ackerman's going to going to kill me, and, and we're going to spend the three three quarters of an hour talking about tags. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure they're still asking for that too. But um, I'm sure they are absolutely. <laughs> they are OG carbon. They they were one of your early users. They they he he always has to remind me that he was using zero and carbon before I was because I say that we we've been using stuff for a long time. But he always has to um, hop on that. He says he's your closer. He comes in when when you need to close a big deal. <laughs> he does he does do a great job. We love Bernie and Jason. We, we have a lot of love and respect for those guys. And uh, I'd love to come on. I'd love to come on. So do I. We're two totally different people. I actually got upset with him because he didn't mention our podcast on yours when he was on. And he was like, well, maybe they maybe they edited it out. And I said, that's bullshit. Why would they just edit it out? <laughs> we wouldn't well, we would never we would never not put a plug in. <laughs> he said, Jason, do you, is there anything else you want to talk about? And then he says, Well, I have a food podcast. He's like, he doesn't want to talk about an accounting podcast, right? <laughs> That's right. I remember. Yeah. That was, that was, he was one of our first. Uh, well, we have to do this again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Enjoyed it, Stu. Good to meet you finally. Thank you, Scott. Likewise. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.